Good morning and greetings in Jesus' name this morning. Thinking about this message this week, the words of a song caught my attention as I was listening to it. It said, send your holy fire on this offering. Let our worship burn for the world to see. And I thought, wow, that is powerful. Is that my desire? And is that a description of what my worship looks like to God? Title of the message this morning is Worship. I believe it's good for us to have a positive focus. And we it's good for us to hear about the things that we need to avoid. And that's important part of teaching. But I think even more important is to hear about the positive things, the things that we should be focusing on. And so it's my desire that we would focus on something positive this morning, and that's our worship of God. You can turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and put your finger there and then go to Exodus chapter 19. What is worship? Is it meeting with God? That's one of the first things that comes to my mind when I think about worship. Exodus chapter 19. I want to read a couple of verses here, starting in verse 17 and read through verse 19. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. So here in verse 17, it says that they came out to meet with God. So there was a meeting for God with God. And there was a tremendous display of power, of fire. And the mountain shook as the presence of God came down and descended on it. And then in verse 19, it said that Moses spoke and God answered him. So they met with God. Was this worship? Well, I believe it was the beginning of an opportunity to worship. As we come to the end of verse 19 and go into chapter 20, we see God beginning to interact and deliver the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. And in chapter 20, verse 2, he says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And so God identifies himself. He identifies himself to them as the deliverer God, the one who freed them from the bondage of Egypt. And it's on that basis that he begins the Ten Commandments. And then he goes into the, to verse 3, where he gives the first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So God is saying, my identity is here because of who I am. My identity is is what makes me the one who has the right to say this to you. 
to give you this commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I have a place above all as your deliverer God. But you know, it wasn't long after that, while Moses was up on the mountain, that the children of Israel forgot their promise to keep God's law. And Aaron asked them to bring their jewelry to him. And in Exodus 32, verse 4, he says, And he received them at their hand, speaking of the jewelry, and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. You see, the problem here wasn't just that they were going after another god or the, the act of bowing down. The problem here was that they were giving God's identity to something else. They were giving God's rightful place to this golden calf. I'd like for us to think about what is God's rightful place in every aspect of his creation, in his plan for our salvation. Because we worship God when we give him his rightful place. Now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. What I'd like to do here is read a portion out of this passage and then make a few comments on the portion that I read and then move on. Start at verse 1. And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us who were all of us here alive this day. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount, out of the midst of the fire. And I stood between the Lord and you at that time to shew you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mount. So these first several verses here are pointing back to a covenant that God made with the people. The covenant there in Exodus 20, the covenant of the law. And it's saying here that God made a covenant with them, not with their fathers, but with them. Then on the basis of that, that covenant, or Moses here in verse 6, begins to relay that covenant to them again, what that covenant was. And verse 6 begins the same way that God began when he gave the Ten Commandments. He identifies himself. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, the deliverer of God. I am the Lord thy God. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are a call to worship, a call to worship God for who he is and for what he has done. I'd like to think about the Ten Commandments. We're going to go read through them here. And I want to think about them as expressions of worship, as giving God his rightful place. Deuteronomy 5, verse 7. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make 
thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and shewing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So these verses, these first several commandments are exalting and lifting up God as the one true God, the only one who is worthy. And that is expression of worship. That's giving God his rightful place. Now, verses 11 through 14. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord shall not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. So in these commandments, God is giving us, acknowledging his authority or addressing his authority over my life, over my speech and my time. What I say and the things that I do, God has authority over those things. And then in verse 15, he connects his delivering power to his right for possession. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord thy God brought thee hence, thence with, through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. So God is pointing his right of possession back to his deliverance. They were where they were as a result of God's delivering power. Now moving on, verse 16 through 21. Honor thy father and thy mother, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, that it may be well with thee, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, neither shalt thou commit adultery, neither shalt thou steal, neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. Neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house, his field, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox, or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. So here, God is speaking of his right to govern in our relationships with other people in relating to the authority that he's placed over us in relating to those he's placed around us and with the possessions he's chosen to give, a, to give to us and to others. How much of these commandments, how much do these commandments cover? How much of life do they cover? God is calling us to give him his rightful place in all these areas by obeying his commands. So, Giving, if worship is giving God his rightful place, then it extends much further than just my time of meeting with God. So is God just asking for outward obedience? I'd like to move on down in the chapter to verse 29. There are two threads of thought that run through these chapters 
that I'd like to point out. In verse 29, God says longingly, Oh, that there were such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Do you hear God's plea? Do you hear God's intent in that? His, his longing for people who would have a heart that would want to obey his commands, that would desire to obey his commands. And now let's move on into chapter 6 verses five and six, continuing on in the same thread, in the same message that Moses is giving the people. He says this, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. You see what God wanted was for these commands and this obedience to come out of a loving heart, a heart that desired to do God's will. And that's where the obedience would come from. It would come from a love that would be an all-consuming passion in the life of his people. So how do we reach that level of relationship? Well, I think we need to go back now to chapter 5 and verse 2. where it says, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. You see, a covenant relationship is where we can find the deepest level of love because the deepest level of commitment is there. And so a very important aspect of worship is the depth of our commitment, the depth, depth of our covenant with God. And God is a covenant God. He desires a covenant with his people to make a covenant with us. And that's the covenant that he made on Mount Sinai with them, the covenant of the law. And that's one aspect that God longs for a heart that is committed to him, that is covenanted with him and loves him and is responding in obedience to him, giving him his rightful place through a love relationship. The second thing in this passage is God's intent. In verse 29, it says that they would obey his commands, that it might be well with them. And in chapter 6, verse 2, it says that they would keep his commandments, that thy days may be prolonged. And in verse 3 and in verse 18 of chapter 6, it says that it might be well with thee. You see, God's intent with these commandments is not to be a dictator, but rather for our good. In verse 29, a heart that understood God's love through his commands. Oh, that they would have such a heart in them. And so this worship is to be something that comes out of the heart and responds in obedience to God as a result of that love relationship. And that's what God desired. And that's the thread 
of thought that flows throughout this passage as he gives the Ten Commandments and it talks about how to live those commandments out. And then we go on in verse 6, following uh, verse 5 and 6, where it talks about the heart, that those words should be in the heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign about thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So where is this worship happening? What's happening when we're living in our house, when we go outside, when we go to bed, when we get up in the morning, as we go about our lives, the things that we're surrounding ourselves with, those are the ways that we're worshiping. The way that we're living out our lives is a form of worship to God if we're giving him his rightful place in those things. And that's the key. We must be giving him his rightful place. And so the question is, are we giving him his rightful place in our lives, in the things that we do, in the way that we live? Are we worshiping God? Let's go on. Verse 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which, which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fieldest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget thy, the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So these verses are a call to us that when we've entered into that covenant with God and we have experienced his deliverance and we've experienced the good things that come from following him, that in that condition, we don't forget God. You see, we're in this place because he, because he delivered us. He is the reason why you're here. He is the reason why you're in this good condition. And don't forget him. Don't forget your deliverer. And, this, and then moving on into verse 13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are around you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commands of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he hath commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers to cast out all thy enemies from before thee as the Lord hath spoken. This is a reminder to keep God the focus of life, that him and his word need to be the focus of who we are ongoing. In verse 20 to 23, 
And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, say, What mean the testimonies and statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord shewed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, and he, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. So this life of worship is going to give us an opportunity. There's going to be those who ask us, what does this mean? Why do you do the things that you do? And then you'll be able to point out the deliverer God to others. Your deliverer, you can bring him glory and lift him up and give him his rightful place by showing him to others. In verses 24 and 25, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. God commanded us to do these things. He gave these commands in this covenant. Maybe I should say that when he made this covenant with Israel, he gave them these commands to do. And the goal was for their good, for their life, for their righteousness, if, if, they, were to do, if they would do them. But you see, this covenant had a problem. And it wasn't God's problem. It was a human problem. Jesus said in John 4, 23, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus is saying that true worship is worship that happens in spirit and that the Father seeketh such to worship him. He's seeking people to worship him in spirit. And doesn't that sound like what it said when God cried out, oh, that they would have such a heart in them. But Paul explains our problem, or explains what the problem was with the first covenant. In Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, the law only had the flesh to work with. It didn't have the spirit that Jesus was speaking about when it said that we worship him in spirit and in truth. Paul says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The law held up right living, but it didn't make any provision for right doing. A new covenant was needed to bring fulfillment to the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. And here in Romans 4, it's saying that the righteousness of the law 
might be fulfilled in us. Why? Because we have something besides the flesh who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. This is a covenant of life, a covenant with God in which he gives us his spirit so that we can live out the righteousness that was intended through the law. Let's turn now to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For ye are not come to the mount that might be touched with, and that burned with fire, nor with blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they heard and treated, that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dark. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That was the first covenant, the covenant of the law. And here in Hebrews, it's saying, you didn't come to that covenant. Verse 22, but ye are come into Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, and the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. The covenant we have come to is a covenant that cannot be moved. It's a covenant that cannot be shaken. And we have received a kingdom that cannot be moved. And we have available to us grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. For our God is a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire. We are the living sacrifice. Every aspect of life open to the flame of his love. Send your holy fire on this offering. May our worship burn for the world to see. Worship. A life that gives God his rightful place in our actions, in our hearts, and in our love. You see, worship is the surrender of all of life. It is giving God his rightful place in every aspect of my being, the place above all. 
the deliverer God, the God who rescued me from problems far deeper than slavery, slavery to sin, under the control of the devil. God has delivered me from that. I've received a kingdom that cannot be moved. Where do you turn for answers, for fulfillment, for help and strength? What are you giving your life to? How you answer these questions is what you are worshiping. May God help us to serve him acceptably. May we look to him for the grace and the strength. And may we surrender our lives fully to him and allow him to work in us a beautiful, sweet-smelling savor that comes out of lives that are sacrificed in worship to him. May God bless you.